And uh, I am hosting this one, so I will get us started. Oh, boom. <coughs> yeah. It's <coughs> a good start. Water. Yeah, get weird with it. Welcome to episode 112 of the Insert Credit Show. Uh, I am Frank Cifaldi, this week's uh, showrunner, guest host, I don't know, what, what are we calling ourselves here? Showboy. Show you're, sh- <laughs> you're the showboy this week. Sh- showboater. You're the showboater. Call me Frankie Showboy. <laughs> Frank Showboy Cifaldi. Joining me as usual here are uh, Brandon Sheffield and Tim Rogers. How you guys doing? We're show babies is what we're called. So there's the show boy and show babies. I'm cool. <laughs> I'm all right. Did, did I reproduce uh, you guys asexually somehow? Did you did you did you spawn from me? Yeah, it was pooping, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Usually how it goes. So um this is alright, so it hasn't quite been three in a row, but uh each of us now has has hosted a, a show. Yeah. Uh, Tim's was first, and, and Brandon's followed that. So, Tim's show uh, was sort of about our origins and where we came from, right? Yeah. Um, which was really cool in retrospective. And then uh, Brandon's show was primarily about nostalgia. Yeah. Um, so I kind of sense a theme going here, and I think I'd like to close out this trilogy of uh, looking back by uh, look, looking forward via the past. Oh. In, a sh- in a show I like to call, well, I actually didn't come up with a name for it. It's a Blaine's problem, <laughs> not mine. Um, but uh, this should be a good time. I've got some questions here. Uh, Y'all ready to go? Yeah. Yeah, let's you break it off. It, you could call it retro future. I don't like the word retro. I don't really like it either, but... It uh, just means backward. What what I wrote in my notes here is the future of the past, but that's kind of lame. How about back to the future? Oh, man, I was oh, going to say that. That's that stupid. great. Jeez. How about forward to the past? No, don't do that. No. I, I'm sure that something, some kind of pull quote will happen in the recording of this show. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Become the we'll, title. we'll just have to repeat it like eight times when it happens. <laughs> All right. So uh, on Brandon's show... We talked about why it is that we, you know, the three of us, uh, hold on to older games. We all kind of had our own uh, reasons for that. Uh, but I'm more interested not in us and the rest of the world. So I guess question number one is, when people say they like so-called retro games, what is it that they're actually saying? Hmm. When they say they like retro games? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's weird because they they are quite often referring to Modern games, games that are made now that have pixels in them. Like, exactly. Does it have pixels? Then it's a retro game. But is that it? Is it just an aesthetic? Is it just pixel art that when when they say that, or or are they actually saying that they prefer uh, simpler games, maybe with with more uh, with less refined mechanics or something? Yeah, I'm not sure about that because 
I guess it depends on who we're talking about, but if we're talking about, say, media or something, mm -hmm. they'll, they'll call something retro-themed if it's got pixels in it, and it doesn't matter to them the way that it plays. Uh, in in my opinion, it seems like they're that's that's as far as they're thinking about it. I could see some some people talking about like retro mechanics or something if they're if, if this is a Castlevania like game or something. But I, f I feel like it mostly has to do with visual and auditory aesthetics and other than otherwise. I don't know. They they it doesn't it doesn't seem it's well. It's certainly not thought through mm -hmm. the, ter the the terming of this. Well, what about uh, people who primarily play older games and and claim perhaps that that they were better at the time? Um, I'm trying to interpret what it is that they're actually saying when they say that, right? Uh, so, like to me, maybe it comes down to. Uh, well, obviously, there's the nostalgia thing, right? Like, my yeah. life was happier when I was a child. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, in, in my experience, I don't think these people actually, you know, sit down and play older games if they, if they say that. I, I, I just feel like they, they, they think that there's something missing in modern games. Yeah, well, the, there, there are some themes that have been abandoned, certainly. You don't get so many happy fun times games. And little little fun mascots jumping around as you used to. That's definitely a thing that's not really there anymore. And is that true though? I mean, in a world where where Angry Birds and Doodle Jump are extremely popular. Oh, I guess it's it's perhaps it's a marriage of that aesthetic with a mechanic that is controller based. Because you definitely don't see any of those kinds of things on something that has a controller. Huh. What about Doodle Jump for DS? Mm. Yeah. I see that at Target every time Ang I go there. Angry Birds for PlayStation 3. You could play Angry Birds with a keyboard. I mean, it might even be better. I think it would be better to just play it with arrow keys and a space bar. Cause you're... Maybe I will. Yeah, I mean, maybe you should. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> maybe, maybe everybody should. Um, I mean, it, I think it is just... I think nostalgia is a it's a word that people think of as kind of a bad word. They're like they feel ashamed about it. Mm -hmm. But it's like I mean, you didn't know as much stuff when you were a kid. You're not as a God, I was having a conversation with somebody about this recently, but we don't want to get into that. Uh I mean, if you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> uh I mean I could mean any of thousands of things and none of them are probably any good. Uh but I mean with by if by a person I mean someone with a PhD if you know what I mean uh that that could be a million bad thing uh nostalgia is not bad it's not bad to go my life was really cool I just mm -hmm. played through half of the game Luffy two this Sunday uh, on on a stream we played through it and it was like. Yeah, there's a lot of really stupid, dumb stuff in this game, and a lot of it's really cheap and thrown together and ham-fisted. But then there's, like, you see this real heart in there. And uh, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm fortunate, if for nothing else, than to be nostalgic for really good stuff. <laughs> uh, like, I mean, 
I was repeatedly impressed with how modern, mature, uh, mindful, and thoughtful the plot is in Lufia 2. Yeah, but that uh, kind of game is a contributor to what you think of as mindful and and modern because it influenced you as a child. Uh, to some well, extent. I mean, it influenced I mean, me I'm, as, I'm a, not, as a 17 year old. Yeah, but, you know, that's, uh, that's that's, that's barely that's that's not not quite Final Fantasy two, where I was 12. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, still not quite. Uh, you know, me at age 36, I guess. So, um, to to uh to add like a little thing to that sort of stuff, um, Eric Wensky, who makes Capsule Force. He got really excited when he found out about this game called Ninpen Manmaru. Oh, Ninpen Manmaru. Which is a Saturn game that is, it's just like a, a little um, 3D platforming game deal. And basically when he played um, Sonic Jam, the 3D section of Sonic Jam, he, uh, he, he was like, I want to play a whole game that's just that. And mm-hmm. when he found out about Ninpen Manmaru, he was like, oh my goodness, this looks like it's exactly that. And so the game's not very good. Um, no, of course but not. It's, no, but it's it's interesting, and it is that thing that he was looking for when he was young, and it and it exists, and it only exists also in the form of an old, another old game. So, Well, why, why am I more excited about that game that is that I know is bad? Yeah. Uh, than I would be for someone making a new game uh, and saying that it plays exactly like the 3D stage of Sonic Jam. Yeah, I think part of that for me is that I believe in I, I like I believe that the people that made that old game were actual people, and I feel like the people <laughs> the people that are making the 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 one that's like that are just some noobs somewhere. Yeah, and, whether, uh, whether whether it's nostalgia for a real thing or uh, whether it's uh, nostalgia for an idea or a set of mechanics or an aesthetic or it's the thing that the the, the Ninpen Manmaru game, uh, like Brandon said, it's made by actual people. Uh, not not saying that you know uh, the kids with Kickstarters are not actual people, but uh, it was so hard to make video games yeah. at the time that Ninpen Manmaru got made. Yeah. And it's like, it's either, I mean, the, 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 the trick, you know, we trick ourselves into thinking when we see something that's new to us that's that old, it's very easy, even for me, knowing what I know, to trick myself into thinking, these people must have really believed in this thing and made this. Oh, yeah. And that. Yeah. They made it with conviction, and that conviction translates into, for me, a person who was alive sentient, uh, intelligent, and somewhat educated at the time that game came out uh, and was making educated choices about the stuff that I liked then and continue to like now and remember fondly now. I can look back at that and go, that's similar to the stuff that I had through educated choices decided to like, that it must have been made by people with some passion. And I know that people can get attached to some AAA games with a AAA budget and be working and just hate it and slog through it and reach a man, I don't know, point like yeah. eight months before the game comes out and just be like, uh, that's good enough, just do that. But uh, even knowing that, 
you know, having worked on games myself where you reach a point where it's just like, well, whatever, just release this thing. Yeah. Like, that could have happened with Nien Pen Manmaru, but... Yeah, it's so. But, he, but even if it did, right? It yeah. was it was it was made with. Uh, I mean, it was it was a real game made at the exact right time, right? But it, it was made like, without the access to hundreds yeah. of game facts forums or uh, yeah. uh, YouTube videos or Twitch channels where people are playing Shenmue and going, "Wish it was the wish there was a Shenmue 3. Like it's made without that, you know. Like I would say that someone making a game that's like Sonic. Jam's 3D stage. Now they would be making making a game based on an old idea. Yeah. And and Ninpen Manmaru guys were making a game based on a then quite new idea that was very difficult to implement. And they didn't have they didn't have a lot of stuff. They, there wasn't a lot of prior art to yeah. compare to. And then on the other side of that. This is like a licensed game for a TV kids show. Uh, the voices are obnoxious. Uh, the controls are bizarre, and uh, you know. Uh, but but it's it's funny. Like saying that, I imagine makes you want to play it more. <laughs> yes, it does. It absolutely does. And it's <laughs> it's it's very similar to uh, like when when someone tries to make an intentionally bad like throwback movie. Uh, and it just it doesn't work for me ever, yeah. Uh, yeah. Because like the the bad movies that they're inspired by, uh, you know, what's, they weren't trying to make a bad movie. They were just trying to make a movie with the means that they had, and it yeah. turned out bad. Yeah, like I don't I don't need I don't need people to be like remember the eighties weren't they crazy? Because right. I can remember that all by myself and have a way much more fun time. Like if someone wants to make a movie in in the vein of you know cheesy 80s movies they're going to like just trying to be bad is stupid yep <laughs> unless unless you're extremely good at it like uh for example um man what's his name comedian he was in dirty work norm macdonald oh norm uh, norm macdonald is excellent at being like just telling a terrible joke, the flattest, worst joke on purpose, and having it work. But you gotta, you gotta be a real craftsperson to get to that level. So really, only the Norm Macdonald of video games could make a modern Sonic Jam bonus uh, area game. Right, which is why I think the Arcane Kids do a pretty okay job of that. Like sure. with with their Bubsy 3D, they're they're taking, you know kind of tropes from the old days to some extent in terms of janky controls and weird mechanics and visuals but they're definitely bringing coming to it from a modern perspective and they're making something that's compellingly weird and and kind of not good but in a way that that's engaging like having having Bubsy descend into a coffin that he then rides through hell is like it's 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 not treated as a joke. Right. It's not like it's not really like look how funny this is. I'm sure that people making it were like, How funny would this be? But then they, they treat it reverentially, like, yeah, you gotta just slide past all these skeletons. Yeah. Uh it's 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 hard to make something like that without 
Like, if you remove reverence from the equation, I think you'll make a better game that has an older aesthetic. I think I agree with that. Um, so along the same lines as that topic, uh, moving on to our next topic here, uh, there's a PC-based game just came out kind of recently called Undertale. I'm sure you guys have heard of it. Yeah, yeah heard of it. Yeah, I've been getting a lot of buzz lately. I actually played through it myself. Uh, nice. Hey, how long did that take? Three or four nights after work. I, don't, I didn't really time it. So not too much. So Undertale isn't that much of an undertaking, is what you're saying. Is that, that, is, that is my back-of-the-box quote. Somebody, yeah. <laughs> somebody messaged or Twitter mentioned me and said, if I Steam gift this to you, will you uh, stream it? And will I, you stream gift it? Yeah, well, I stream gifted if he steam gifts it. And I wanted to reply, yeah, but I was on the BART on the way back from SFO Airport two weeks ago, so I forgot to reply. So if that was you, uh, just mention that. That wasn't me. No, no, I'm saying whoever's listening. (laughs) If you're listening now, please do it again. I will play that game uh, as soon as Comcast fixes my internet. Undertale, you guys have at least seen some stuff about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So the media likes to call it an Earthbound-inspired game. Um, but uh, having actually played it, I think that's kind of missing the point. Uh, so, I don't know, from what you guys have seen, I know you guys haven't played it, uh, but from what you know, I'm kind of wondering, what is Undertale? Is it is it a throwback? Is it is it an aesthetic? I mean, is it is it fan art? Or is it something else entirely? Yeah, I don't uh. think I know enough. I, I've seen some screens, I've heard some people vaguely talk about it, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I know enough to really talk about it. It seems to have resonated with people emotionally, which is which is certainly beyond any kind of uh, designation as throwback or retro or whatever. It's it, it if it makes people feel a thing, then it's transcended that already. I think that's possibly true, uh, Tim. Just to give you some context uh, that yeah. you would understand. Uh, my take on Undertale is that they made an entire game out of the final uh, fight in Mother 3. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I've, I saw the trailer for it. Uh, Christian Nutt uh, showed it to me, and I was kind of excited uh, based on that. And I thought, yeah, it looks like uh, – it looks kind of like – I mean, obviously they, they must have played a Mother game or two. Uh, mm-hmm. But it looks – very much like someone had an idea. I don't know. You know how, like, I don't know if anybody, maybe you guys haven't, but when you're writing a song, you know, you uh, maybe there's a guitar riff that's really weird and you want to figure it out. So you pick up the guitar and, you know, you're, like, trying to play along to your favorite band uh, and you get it. But then, you know, you're kind of, you, you find something else that's a mm-hmm. little bit, maybe not easier or less complex, but... It's uh, it's 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 more natural to you. I feel like that just based on the preview I saw. It's like they're like, yeah, let's make an Earthbound like game, and then it kind of it's like, yeah, actually, this is cooler for us. This I is think, more natural for us. Yeah, I think that seems pretty accurate. I it's just the spirit. Right, and I, I just I don't know. I have a hard time nailing down what it is because I mean it it is a pixel art game, right? But yeah. it's it's I don't I don't think it's trying to feel old. I think it even though like all the mechanics in there uh are from older games, I don't 
feel like it's trying to be old. I think it's just happens to have those same uh, sort of mechanics and, and the same aesthetic. And uh, that's kind of a weird thing to, to nail down in, in a society where we like label labeling things. The, the trailer for me actually kind of turned turned me off because it looked from a sort of external standpoint and a person who doesn't who didn't play Earthbound. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked like a game that someone had thrown a lot of memes in because there the the trailer at least the one that I watched just had a lot of weird silly jokes in it and yeah. and, and I was. I was nervous about that because silly jokes are real tough to do in a video game in a way that I'm going to appreciate. So I was like, I don't know about this. I wouldn't let that uh, inform uh, your yeah, opinion of well, the game. But enough uh, people have said that it's cool that I'll I'll probably give it a shot. But it 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 definitely like that that trailer told didn't tell me the right things. Didn't tell me the things I wanted to hear. That's for sure. Sure, that makes sense. Um, okay, I think we've exhausted that topic. Uh, we haven't done a list here in a while, I feel like. Nice. We, uh, we, used to, we used to do a lot of those. So uh, let's do a list sort of inspired by that last topic. Um, I want to come up with a list of ten games from the 20th century, specifically, mm-hmm. uh, that today's game developers should play. Something sort of a... Uh, 20th century. Yeah, 20th century, ending in 1999. Uh so this is just sort of a video game literacy list, right? Uh, literacy. Coll- uh I want us to uh, come up with ten collectively. Uh, so I thought I would gamify this a little bit. Uh, we, as as soon as I say go, and I have not worked on this at all myself or thought about it, uh, I'm going to give us one minute uh, to silently come up with five, uh, and then theoretically we will have... Uh, up to 15, and we'll whittle it down to 10. Wait, we're going to have a minute of silence. Is uh, is Blaine going to cut this out, I hope? Uh, yeah, probably. So uh, <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll be right back. It doesn't have to be silent, but take a minute. I'm going to time it, and I'll let you know when the timing's up. Uh, just right. come up with your list of five, and then uh, we'll, we'll go through and figure out that 10. And I'm going to go grab my cup of coffee, which is across the room as we do this. Uh, all right. You, you all know, right. Use the minute however you want. Just be ready to have five and go. Uh, that is uh, the timer. I've uh, I've got three myself. I don't know about you guys. I also have three. Maybe we should go a little longer. <laughs> All right. Let's How just... do I make this? Okay, there we go. All right. Just let's just just go until you got your five. Yeah. All right. I think I got a couple. Yeah, we we both have three, so this minute idea did not work out so well. Uh, no, <laughs> I don't think so. I've got a, I have five, but I mean, we don't have to say it's five. Sure, <laughs> I'm gonna type their names so that I can look at them. Uh, yeah, there's two that are pretty good right there. Uh, I mean, these are games that I just like a lot. That yeah. uh, I feel like. I decided to not pick ones that everyone seems to have played nowadays. Right. You know, like, to, you know, clear the air a little bit. Uh, a lot of the games that... So what I, what I realized in this minute as I looked for my coffee cup, which I could not find, which scares me, so I used God. my identical coffee cup, which is 
uh, also was sitting on my kitchen counter. But there's one that is in the wild right now. What I realized is that a lot of the games that I played back then that nobody liked uh, are now games that game developers play and uh, take influence from. For example, Mother 2, uh, yeah. Earthbound. Uh, it's, it's now a game that game developers talk about a lot. So it's like that's kind of interesting. So I can reveal an item from my list if you would like. Uh, so do we? Do we, we all do have our lists? Yeah. Brandon, Brandon, you good? Man, I guess I don't know. It's, <laughs> I, it's, it's, this is this list is really hard for me to come up with. I went one direction, but then it was, uh, it turned out to be incorrect. But it's it's an interesting direction. Initially, I was trying to think of, um, awkward evolutions of classic game types because I think that's really interesting. And so I had like Sonic Adventure, R-Type Final, and Bonk's Adventure for the GameCube, but then I realized only Sonic Adventure came out before 2000. So (laughs) I had to start writing a different list. And uh, yeah, the end. All right. um, So let's maybe uh, go through one at a time, just give a title and... and, uh, and move on, and I'll kind of keep the list uh, here of what we've got. Um, and, th- and then we can sort of start justifying and seeing if we can get it down to 10. Uh, so, right. uh, Tim, you, you seem raring to go. What do you got? Well, I've got Lufia 2, which uh-huh. I just mentioned, and I have good reasons. Uh, uh, Dracula X, Rondo of Blood. So, uh, cool. uh, Land Stalker. Mm-hmm. Alundra, which is a spiritual sequel to Land Stalker. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wanted to say Dragon Quest V, but that, uh, that, that oh, did not come out in English until 2005. But uh, ah, no, 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 it counts. It counts. All right, all right, let's count it. Because the actual game, uh, aesthetically, right, uh, came out in the 20th century. It doesn't matter uh, yeah. when it was available in English. Um, all right, so uh, despite the the you know what? You said Mother 2 is kind of an obvious one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to go Mother 3, because I don't think anyone's played that game. But it didn't come out before 2000. Oh, my God, it didn't. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, uh, maybe maybe it's not an obvious one, Mother 2. It it probably has you know, a huge value. Brandon yeah. hasn't played it, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm putting Mother 2. I think people... I like the re- I think the well I'm, we'll get into the reasons after, because I'm breaking my own rules here. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say Link's Awakening. Ah, good. Uh, I was hoping. Uh, I'm gonna say Sonic the Hedgehog 2. STH2. Uh, I'm gonna give in to my own stereotype here and say The Secret of Monkey Island. <laughs> um, and I've also got and and I haven't quite figured out why, uh, but maybe that's the perfect reason to put it on this list. I put Galaga. Oh, hmm. good so It's gonna be an interesting exercise to, to figure out why I feel that's necessary. What do you got, Brandon? Uh, all right. Well, mine's pretty. Pretty typical, I guess. <laughs> um, it's uh, Gunstar Heroes. Oh, boom. Um, Gate of Thunder, which is the TurboGrafx sure. horizontally scrolling shooter. Thundergate. Uh, I got I got reasons for that, too. I put in Art of Fighting 3, oh. uh, but I could maybe put in Real Bout Fatal Fury Special 2. Essentially, I wanted to put in a fighting game that I feel was the transitionary period between straight, Street Fighter 2 and success. Okay, uh, uh, let, let's let's stop the explanation okay. before we go. All right, yep. All right. sorry, yeah. Um, Shining Force 2 I put in there. Okay. And then Bomberman. 
Oh, Bomberman. A Bomberman, like which, like which one? Oh, the first one. Saturn Bomberman. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter, but Saturn Bomberman is my favorite, sure. so I'm gonna put in Saturn Bomberman. It has a lot of players in it. You can get a bunch heck, of people. Heck of players. You could be bonking that game. Yeah. So you can let's just say the the prototypical Bomberman, whatever that is. Yeah. So yeah. The generic. Okay. Uh, so I am actually most interested in hearing uh, your justification for Gate of Thunder before we. Uh, oh, Thunder okay. Gate. So Kaminati. My justi- justification for Gate of Thunder is that it is a very specifically, very specific, very well-designed shooting game where it pretty much teaches you how to play and how to move precisely. And it's, it's you know, the controls are precise, the hitbox is precise, and everything you do... Every action that you take is important. So trying to trying to single credit that game, you will learn a lot about that game. But then, when you play it in a different difficulty, it is actually a differently designed game. It doesn't just have more enemies or uh, you know stronger, um, more hit points for bosses or something like that. They actually come in different patterns than you would have expected from your normal playthrough and they have different attacks and stuff so it winds up taking the same game and making you play it differently and so I think that shooting games are some of the most kind of pared down in terms of game design video mm-hmm. games you've got you've got a, a mechanic you do, you've got level design and that's and then you've got these these stopping points which are bosses and that's pretty much the whole game it's it's a series of levels and set pieces that you use the exact same skills to navigate through so what but, you're saying is you would like game developers to to pick up on what gate of thunder did that other shooters didn't and and uh, take inspiration from that yeah or or in fact just to learn learn what is important about a shooter, and I think Gate of Thunder does a good job of showing you what that is. Like, learn learn what what there is to learn about level design from a good shooting game. Now, the reason I went with Galaga, I think, is uh, just because I feel like that is uh, that is the the bullet hell shooter at its uh, most simplistic prototypical form. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it's just like I, I think I think there's a beauty in the simplicity and and the rhythm. Of uh, just going left and right to avoid these things, and I think you know, I think the enemies dance in a particular way that that uh, that does kind of train you uh, to to uh, move and swerve and avoid them. Uh, does Gate of Thunder uh, knock that off the list? Does it also teach you those things? It also teaches you those things, uh, as okay. far as I'm concerned. But it's it's a more it's a more modern interpretation of it. But you. You'll learn the same stuff, and you'll probably have more fun. <laughs> okay, uh, that's fair. So I will eliminate uh, Galaga. Number one on the list right now is Gate of Thunder. Uh, Tim, uh, you know, just pick any of your five. Tell us why it's on. Any of my five? Okay, so I'm just gonna say Lufia Two because it's real fresh in my head. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Lufia Two is an RPG that is uh, very much like any of the Final Fantasies, and very much like a lot of the Zeldas. Uh, in that it has these Zelda-like block-pushing puzzles and whatnot. 
and some of them are just really kind of infuriatingly big and complex and weird. But uh, it's an it, it's an RPG with a Final Fantasy-ish story, but the dungeons have these puzzles, and the battles are really fast, like a Dragon Quest. But it, none of those parts feels out of place, like ever. And uh, the character, the the story, the actual plot is about small interactions. the The gimmick of the plot is that it uh somewhat realistically represents interpersonal re- realistic interpersonal relationships and it's just very small uh i mean it starts with a guy and a girl who are kind of dating like and they go on an adventure because they they have to and uh it's just kind of about people and then at the same time it has these great dungeons and puzzles that are not like many other i mean like final fantasy was just the dungeons are just kind of straight lines that you go through and you, you know, there's a couple of different paths with treasures or whatever, but uh, it's got this story that has a really good emotional center and these puzzles that are really, really tough, that get really tough, and you might get stuck on some of them for a while because of how tough they are. So and, does, does uh, the does the gameplay sort of uh, inform the narrative as well, or is it just kind of cutscenes separated by gameplay? It's kind of cutscenes separated by gameplay, but. You know, the cutscenes at the end of RPG dungeons are always like, oh, we just fought through a tough dungeon. Right. Oh, here's a monster, you jerk, we've been chasing you. But it's like, you really are kind of chasing the monster, you jerk, uh, at the end of these dungeons. Because there's there's a, kind of a lot of meat there. And uh, when uh, when you're chasing an evil uh, demon overlord up, the t- up to the top of his tower... Uh, you know, it's like, yeah, this is kind of the tower I expect this guy would hang out in because of how tough all these puzzles are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you actually have to, like, outsmart the enemies on the map in order to dodge them. You can shoot them with arrows if you have a line of sight, and then that freezes them for a second. Kind of mysterious dungeon-ish. So you mm-hmm. kind of feel like a smart, clever hero. Uh, your hero, uh, Maxim, it is worth noting, is not the strongest character in the party physically or magic-wise. He's actually... I just noticed this now that you asked. Uh, the main character is not the strongest mage, nor is he the strongest fighter. He's just kind of the balanced guy. So that's kind of interesting. He's sort of like the project manager of the party. There are two stronger characters, and there's one super powerful mage character. Your main character, the hero, the guy on the box you're going to want to keep him in the back row most of the time. All right, so uh, so I would vote to put that uh, just above Gate of Thunder at number one. Brandon, how do you feel about that? Fine with me. Okay. Boom. Also, Brandon, you should play Lufia 2. It rules. <laughs> play it. So, Brandon, uh, why did you choose... Uh, you started speaking to this, but uh, I'm curious to hear the rest. Uh, why Art of Fighting 3? I think I've changed it. <laughs> okay. Uh, because... I kind of didn't realize that we were... Somehow, I didn't think about how it was developers should learn from these things. Ah, I see. Um, and I think that the things that you can learn from a game like Art of Fighting 3 could be learned more easily through something like Street Fighter 2 Rainbow Edition, <laughs> the, the Taiwanese knockoff of... Is it, wait, is, is that what you're changing it to? Yeah. Okay, all right. I'm changing it to Street Fighter 2 Rainbow Edition. All right, what can we learn? Because, so, Street Fighter 2 was a popular game, and then it had to evolve. And one of the main reasons it had to evolve was because of this Rainbow Edition update, which was essentially 
people in Taiwan being like, yeah, this game's all right, but it's too slow, and I want to make it weirder. <laughs> right. And uh, and that's that's basically what this game does. It makes it it adds turbo. It makes it a lot faster. Sometimes, you know, uh, Blanca turns into M Bison when flying across the screen, and um, it's it. You know, in a in a Street Fighter Two retrospective recently, some staff that worked on the game, they were like, "Man, we played this game and actually realized that this is why this was popular because we we had been too straight and we needed to get even weirder. We needed to we needed to make it faster." And so I think looking at the difference between those two games, you'll see, and then and then what Street Fighter did after that, you'll see that that. I don't know. It's 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 a very weird incremental, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, evolution of an idea. So, is there and, anything to be gained by going back to Rainbow Edition as opposed to the things that evolved from it? Uh, well, if you're interested in dissecting fighting games and how they got to where they are now, like assuming you've sure. played fighting games from today, I think yes. Because you can see, you can see what the steps, you can see that that first big step that was made from outside the company, that that then allowed for other people like, you know, SNK to come up with King of Fighters, which was um, just like a million weird characters and and relatively fast compared to Street Fighter mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. So that's right. what I think about that. Uh, I like it. I'm convinced. Um, I think I'm more convinced by Gate of Thunder, so I've got it at number three right now. Any any opposition to that? Nah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so my turn. Uh, I'll talk about Link's Awakening for a second. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of good things to say about Link's Awakening, but uh, I think the way that they made an entire... I, I, I think of all the sort of tile-based uh, action-adventure games... Uh, this one just feels the most elegant to me of any that I've played. Uh, like, you know, every tile in that game is, you know, has one of maybe five different, uh, aspects to it, right? Like, things that it can do. Like, it's slippery, or it's water, or, or it's a wall, or it's floor. Like, there, there aren't that many things that a tile can do. Uh, it could be an NPC, right? Like, like, uh, but somehow, this world feels really compelling and fleshed out, even though there's this very simplistic uh, rule set under the hood. And when I first played Link's Awakening, for some reason more than any other Zelda or Zelda clone that I've played, uh, that to me was the first one I played where I'm like, man, I can tell any story I want with these basic building blocks. And like, I, I still am inspired uh, by Link's Awakening for that reason. Uh, and that's why uh, I've I've got it on this list. I think it really helps that uh, Link's Awakening chose to tell uh, such a creative story. Like yeah. it's the only Zelda. I mean, I hate to break it to anyone just tuning in, but that's the only Zelda game with like a good story. <laughs> the the rest of them have these really childish. I mean, that's cool though. I like childish stories. Uh, I like a lot of stories that seem childish but aren't. Like any Dragon Quest game has a story that at the surface level is a fairy tale. But there's a lot more to it. So it's like 
Link's Awakening did a really good thing by having this almost. Uh, I mean, it was just a bizarre plot. Like, yeah, I like that. But then the game is so simple and so tight that. Uh, well, and and the plot is also pretty simple and tight. You know, yeah. it, it 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 actually uh, corresponds really well to the gameplay. I feel. Yeah, um, keep it real clean, clean and weird. So I don't want to place it because it's mine. Uh, so the list right now is Lufia 2, Gate of Thunder, and then Street Fighter 2 Rainbow Edition. Uh, I would say like Zelda it? could go up to the top because it's it's the weird Zelda. Yeah. Uh, wait, what Zelda is it cool to like now? Is it still Ocarina of Time? Or I think it is. Are they? I mean, some video game journalist types have been trying to shoehorn Majora's Mask in as the Zelda, right? I think that's the one that you say is your favorite to look cooler than the uh, Ocarina of Time people. Yeah, yeah. So that one, that one's the quote-unquote weird one. Yeah, I think that's still the weird one. I think Link's Awakening is the one that everyone is probably going to start saying they like. Yeah, I think so too. Whether they played it or not, but that is a really good one. That's the only one I would recommend to Brandon, by the way, if Brandon had Same. one Zelda game. Yeah, I have no opinion, obviously, but... Um... I think you'd like Link's Awakening. I'd it's, play it someday. It's goofy and weird. It kind of feels like a PC Engine Zelda game almost. So yeah, it does. Cool. Uh, I, it doesn't matter if you've played these games. It's just based on our arguments. Like, where does that fall on the list of games that developers should probably look at? I'd put it at the number one for right now. Yep. I mean, it has a lot in common with all of the games that I picked. So there's that. All right, uh, so, Tim, um, you still got your list in front of you? Yeah, I got it. Well, I got it in my head, but, uh, yeah. I, I think I'm interested in, in hearing uh, specifically Dracula X uh, more than Symphony of the Night is interesting to me. Dracula yeah, X. Yeah. Dracula X, to me, is cooler than Symphony of the Night. Uh, uh, it's a billion, billion times. That's, like, a, a large billion, billion is an enormous wow. number of billions. Uh, that's a thousand million billions. That's exactly uh, how many stars there are. Yeah, thousand million billion stars. Uh, cooler than Symphony of the Night, in my opinion, and I think in all the opinions that matter. Uh, <laughs> Symphony of the Night is really, really cool. But, uh, man, the whole thing, come on over here. Oh, yeah, but you can't go here, so you got to go that way. Now you can double jump. Why don't you try going back there? That's just, man, it's like... People play that and they feel good, you know. They play Super Metroid or whatever and they feel good. And now you get people throwing around the words Metroidvania uh, without remembering Metroid or Castlevania. And there's a lot of these games that come out and they're called Metroidvanias. It's like let's let's take the Vania all the way back to Dracula is what I'm thinking, you know. So it's like before there was uh, Metroidvania, there was Castlevania, and. Uh, before, you know, I mean, Castlevania to people is Castlevania Symphony of the Night. And before that, there was Dracula. It all starts with Dracula, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And Dracula X is a stage-based platform action game with some very concrete, heavy weight to it. It is uh, probably for most of the people who would say Dark Souls is the best game ever, if that's the only game they've played. Dark Souls rules, whatever. Uh... Rondo of Blood is a game that many people would uh, kind of not hesitate to say is very hard. Mm-hmm. It's such a hard game, dude. It's so hard. And it's like, yeah, it is, but there's just logic 
to the way everything feels. And I wrote an article for insertcredit.com about uh, how cool it feels to whip an axe out of the air and then keep the attack button held down, which activates your ability to step backward because turning around takes about 0.25 seconds. So turning around actually takes time, and you're vulnerable while turning around, and you can't do anything while turning around. So you get hit by a high attack. So it feels really good to whip an axe out of the air, keep the attack button held down, and you can begin... Uh, your like input is locked while whipping the whip. And during that time, you can move backward. You can begin the back step. So you can step backward to give yourself more time to like duck under the next projectile that an enemy has thrown. Uh instead of like turning around and moving to the left like which would require you to wait until the attack has ended all that little stuff is in there and in symphony of the night they cut all those times by about 75% and uh, everything's just faster and you kind of move more quote unquote intuitively but it's like if i'm going to move perfectly intuitively why don't i just you know sit down and think about a video game, you know, <laughs> like uh, as you as you eliminate all these barriers to uh, intuition, uh, you just kind of make me think. Why don't you just make me invincible in the game? You so, know? so what you're saying is that uh, uh, Rondo Blood is uh, the best example of of that sort of Castlevania like movement that I don't even know what to call it. It's like snappy movement. It's, it's it's snappy. It's uh, it's it's like snappy feels too fast though. I would you know, say it's it's, like, it's it's micro commitments, right? I like that. Yeah. So when you jump in a Castlevania game, you have committed to an exact arc uh, and duration of time during which you will be vulnerable to an attack in a certain degree of areas. So, like, it's. It's kind of meaningful action. It's yeah. it's I, I like I use the phrase heavy action is the is what I call Castlevania. It does, it's a, yeah, games. it does feel very heavy. Okay, so yeah, heavy action games, and it is definitely the best one. I like Castlevania Bloodlines is my favorite personal favorite Castlevania game, but I fully acknowledge that that one's kind of stupid and kind of dumb. And Rondo of Blood is definitely a better game. So I like that game a whole lot, Rondo of Blood, and it's got a lot of stuff that. Uh, that got polished out of Castlevania in particular in the name of usability. Like, mm. they polished uh, Symphony of the Night toward being more usable and ex- and therefore accessible. And they were thinking about making more money, and they put in the RPG stuff so that there's more retention before they had, wor- like, before they had yeah. vocabulary for all this. They were doing it. So I think while that was necessary for them at the time... Uh, seeing Dark Souls at the top of Edge's list of the 100 best games of all time recently made me think uh, that it could be time for people to really play Castlevania, and there's just there's so much solid gold in Dracula X Rondo of Blood for action game design in particular. Stuff you can carry into FPSs, RTSs even, like all sorts of stuff that's mineable in there, and I really think every game developer should play that game. All right, um, I'm uh, convinced. Uh, trying to figure out where to put it on the list. Uh, I'm kind of thinking above Lufia too. I'd put it Zelda. at the top myself. Yeah, yeah. I I would want to put it at the top. I think there's more 
in there in terms of feedback and feeling and friction, the three Fs, uh, that is just accessible in every genre of video game. I think there's too many strategy games that lean on being strategy games now. Mm. I think you should, uh, people need to bone up on what, what action really is all about. Uh, so, Brandon, uh, Let's let's go back to you because I feel like uh, a lot of your rationale for Gunstar Heroes might be similar. It is similar. Um, I would say that Gunstar is less of a weighty and commitment-oriented video game because you got a lot of health and you can get a lot more health, but it has a lot of moment-to-moment kinetic action where just... Unlike a game like Dark Souls, in Gunstar Heroes, everything happens with an immediacy that that feels feels like a natural flow. It's mm-hmm. um, everything happens exactly when I want it to happen, and I can reliably react to a situation in Gunstar Heroes. Like if 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 something happens that I don't expect because I'm not a champion master player of video games, I can react to it in a way that feels satisfying, which in turn can almost make you become a champion master action game player. I feel like the things that they did in that game uh, to make it a living world are also really nice. The The way the characters interact with you, how you start off in a in a village getting destroyed and people running back and forth, stuff's on fire. And, uh, but also how you, you know, you, you combine your weapons to sort of make the game your own a little bit, but you can also use melee attacks, punching and kicking and mm-hmm. uh, rocketing off walls with your, with your jump kick and stuff. And uh, just everything is punchy and impactful. And it's, it's like where, where, Rondo of Blood is more of a um, thinking person's action game. Gunstar is more of an act, acting person's, active person's action game. So, yeah, so so we put this well above uh, probably any game in the Contra series for teaching that sort of gameplay. I would say yeah. so, yeah. yeah. I think I agree with that. Uh, I, um, think, uh, I think Gunstar Heroes has, like, I like to refer to it as a cuisine-style game design, where it's like you've got a plate and you've got your food arranged pleasantly on the plate. That's how they, they build the worlds. Every level feels like a living world. There's never too much mm-hmm. in a level uh, to the point where it's it's almost comical how spare uh, all the levels are. Like None of the levels uh, uh, lean on any one particular geometry or terrain gimmick for longer than one screen. To the yeah. point where you get to the the dice maze and it's just all single screens. It's just like all yeah. hors d'oeuvres. It's like now you're doing this, now you're doing this. Guess what? Now it's this. And then you get to the beginning of level five, uh, known among series fans as uh, "Destroy Them All," the the stage known only as "Destroy Them All," which is uh, a really long. It's just a single flat stage where you're just running and shooting like hundreds of guys. Where the game was like. It's like suddenly the game's like, yeah, by the way, even if this were a dumb shooting game, it would still rule. Yeah. And it's like, it just does that, and it rules a whole bunch. 
I would say that to to go along with your hors d'oeuvres idea, it's like they gave you a bunch of different kinds of hors d'oeuvres, but they gave you a spork to eat it with. Like they're like here's yeah. here's here's one thing. Here's what here's here's the way you're going to interact with this world. Now here's a bunch of stuff for the world to do around you that you got to interact with in in using the the tools that we gave you. It's it's pretty nice. Yeah. So uh seems like it is uh pretty high up on our list. Um I'm actually kind of thinking number 2 right below Rondo of Blood. Yeah, I I would still like to put Rondo up there because Yeah, that's cool. There's there's a lot of like stuff that'll happen in Gunstar Heroes. Like when a guy grabs you, you can like see your guy struggling for a couple of seconds. And the game is entertaining. There's like entertainment value yeah. in it. And I think games today are good with the entertainment value. It's like I've got a signal that I can press a button and I have a couple of seconds to do it. Whereas I think I think we need to really like jam some more strictness into games. Just a little tiny bit more. So that's why I think Rondo of Blood is a little bit more valuable. I'm good with that. Justification. All right, so uh, that is now number two behind Dracula X, Rondo of Blood, uh, and then uh, Link's Awakening is, is uh, right behind that. Um, okay, so we'll go back to me. Uh, try to figure out why I think Sonic 2 specifically is important. I mean, you can talk about level design. It's great. You know, you can talk about the fluid movement of Sonic and how good it feels. Um, I think... What I like best about Sonic 2, it's it's similar to to what I like best about Link's Awakening, is just the the elegance of of making the simplicity under the hood seem so believable. Uh, and I don't know how much of that is art and how much of that is just the props in each level, but I feel like you know if if you actually just break down Sonic, it's a bunch of floating racetracks, right? It's a, it's a bunch of like straight lines and loops and stuff uh, that you just kind of run as fast as you can. Uh, through to get to the end, but but there's something about Sonic 2 more than any of the others that that the levels actually feel like believable places that have history, uh, and and I find that remarkable about that game. Yeah, it's like it's the game that kind of made kids want there to be a cartoon, and it, that led to a, a bunch of sleazes realizing there should be a cartoon, and then <laughs> that led to a cartoon, and then games that were more like cartoons. And then Sonic kissing a human girl and uh, millions of illustrations of Sonic's penis and all that stuff. Like, but it, it, so it didn't, it's, it didn't it's, tell a story through it. Through it, it, it didn't. No, it's, it's amazing. But it, it made people think of stories, I guess. Because yeah. all of the levels felt like places, even though they were just floating racetracks. And, uh, I mean, it was a combination of cool music, uh, uh, characters that all looked like something. It's mm-hmm. like... Having a justification for like who the enemies are. When you kill an enemy, you see a little tiny bird fly out, and it's like, oh, you rescued that bird. It's like that was in Sonic One as well, but it's like, I don't know, Sonic Two just had the right level of cartoon high fidelity. Yeah. Like I one was. Think, go ahead. Uh, I also think that it, though this also existed in one, I think that the rings mechanic is interesting to look at uh, from a design perspective because that, that it was almost a solution to, you know, Tim was saying, why not just make me invincible? Well, in Sonic, you, uh-huh. you're you basically invincible. You mm-hmm. As long as you've got rings, you can't die unless you run out of air or fall off a, a cliff, specifically. Those two things will kill you, but otherwise, you know, you've always got, almost always got a chance 
to grab a ring back and stay alive. And it's like in a game where you're supposed to go fast, why the heck not just make you mostly invincible? Like that's not, that's not, getting killed is not the thing that's fun about the game or that's challenging about the game. Well, also like being slowed down by uh, the, the ring explosion also isn't fun. So I think it teaches you that uh, invincibility isn't necessarily fun, right? Like, it encourages yeah. you to want to get yeah. past these obstacles without stopping. Yeah. Uh, and even though stopping isn't a tremendous, you know, punishment, it's still uh, punishment enough. And and I like that that punishment is uh, very temporarily taking away the thing that's fun, but not not in a really, a, a, you know, obtusive not way. tearing it out of your hands. It's not they're, super they're, punitive. There's yeah. also seldom are there any... any Bottomless pits in Sonic. Well, I mean, there are, but there's not as many bottomless pits in Sonic as there would be in Mario. There's alternate yeah. paths. You fall down onto a different path, and now you're over here, and now you're over here. And it's uh, it's just level design as as entertainment. Mm-hmm. So games nowadays, I mean, God, when you when you think about it, this is a, a, you know kind of a a go to cynical viewpoint, but it's also kind of true that most games now are first person shooters. They're about shooting people and killing them, and uh, getting shot and dying. And you got shot in the head, now you're dead. You know, you come back, and it's like Sonic was really good at being a game that had difficulty and it had mm. technique. And you can watch super plays of Sonic and Knuckles twenty years later and just be like, "Wow, you actually can be good at this game." But that's the interesting thing: is it's performance as entertainment. So. You're performing at Sonic, and you're getting slowed down if you hit an enemy, but what if you jump at just the right time, and you know that you should jump at just that time? You're performing the role of Sonic, this slick, cool guy, and you're avoiding a collision with an enemy, and you're maintaining your speed, and you're staying on the right path. And, I mean, those the corkscrews and the loop-de-loops are all play into that. It's, mm-hmm. uh, look how cool I am. I'm just doing this thing. And later Sonic games would be all about just pressing the A button a bunch of times and watching Sonic go through a bunch of 3D... And go, woo yeah! Yeah, yeah, and they, they switch these fixed angles in 3D, so you're seeing all these weird camera angles and you're just flying through a level. But Sonic 2 was cool because... Well, I guess because it's not in 3D. It's like you're looking at an illustration and right. a cartoon and you're just kind of seeing this world. You're seeing everything that is entertaining you at a time. And yeah, it's just performance as entertainment. You're not being punished and you're not losing most of the time. And you don't even need to know that you can get good at the Mm. game to think it's good. And when you're doing good, the game trusts you to know that you can... The game trusts you to decide when you are good at it. And Uh, that's really interesting. I got a couple other quick things to say about it. One of which is related to, you know, when you fall down and you go you go into a different part of the level rather than the pit. It's it's like as a player you go, oh man, so this part's connected to that part. And that's that's mm. a pretty cool thing. And it's it's one of those deals where like you know, magazines would stitch together levels uh in into like a big map so that you could see how the whole level fit together. But Sonic 2 is one of the first where I was like, oh man, I actually care about right. what's where in the level because you know, I could find an optimal path or I could find, oh man, I didn't even know that thing was there or whatever. Like That's, that's pretty cool because you're, you're supposed to be going quickly to the right 
and uh, you'll miss a lot of stuff. But the other thing is uh, sort of related to uh, game as performance, but also related to that level stuff, is Sonic 2 had that two-player versus mode, mm-hmm. um, oh, which yeah. has an interesting place in in my history as, you know, uh, back in, in college when I was playing video games against Vincent Diamante, and he was destroying me at Puyo Puyo and uh, Street Fighter Alpha 2 and stuff like that, uh, he at one point rather rudely was like, are there any video games that you are good at? <laughs> And uh, I was like, well, I'm pretty good at Sonic, I guess. I don't know. And he's like, and and then we both thought, like, what is being good at Sonic? Like, how 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 can we how could we ch- prove that one person's better at Sonic than another? And the answer is, play that two-player mode, get through it faster, uh, get hit less, have more rings. There you go. You're better at Sonic than that other person. Nice. Uh, that's kind of that's kind of interesting. So uh, where do you guys want to put it on this list? I can I can read this off if you need a reminder. Mm, well, I want to put it under the hard action games. Okay. <laughs> so uh, one and two are Dracula X and Gunstar Heroes. I I agree that it's maybe under those. Uh, is it uh, under or above Link's Awakening? I would put Link's Awakening higher. I would also because like I, I don't want this to be ten action games, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So Lufia two is the next one on the list. I'd I'd be comfortable putting it above Lufia two. I really like that performance as entertainment element of Sonic that yeah. I feel is unique to Sonic games and it probably needs to be elsewhere. You good with that, Brandon? Yeah, I'm cool with it. Okay, so Tim, uh, you got three games left here: Landstalker, Alundra, and Dragon Quest V. Yeah, uh, I love them. So I, I kind of fear that uh, that maybe you're running out of justifications, but I think you're you're about to prove me wrong here. Oh, I've got I've got plenty of justifications. So <laughs> Landstalker and Alundra are spiritual sequels. They're like brother games, okay. uh, uh, made by much of the same development team. And, uh, Let's alter the rules. You can talk about both of them here. Where they, where I'm gonna, they yeah, I'm going to do both of them at the same time. Uh, I think we're only going to choose one, though, because they definitely occupy the same space. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're, they're quite similar. I have reasons for wanting to distinguish them, but Go for it. it's okay to not. Uh, Landstalker's a Zelda game, but it's got a three-quarters overhead isometric perspective, uh, and you can jump and you have a sword. And that's it. That's like all you get in the game is you can jump, you can hit people with the sword, and you can pick things up. And it has a whole and bunch of puzzles. Them. And you can throw things. and Or you can put them down and yeah. use them as steps. Uh, it it gets an enormous amount of mileage out of just those three things. Like an enormous amount. Uh, and uh, all of the dungeons are... It's not like... In a Zelda game, it's like go to the eight dungeons to get the eight crystals or whatever which actually is the plot of Link to the Past. Uh, in Landstalker, it's every dungeon is something to do with the plot. You are a world-famous treasure hunter who is uh, trying to find a treasure before some other guys find it. And you know, you've know you got missions where you're sneaking around following them. And it's like, let's go to this temple and find this thing. Every single dungeon is a plot point in an ongoing story that is pretty decently well written compared to a lot of other games and Alundra is similar but it's 
it's just, I mean, in that you can jump and you have a sword. It doesn't have the isometric perspective, which is unfortunate because the isometric perspective is hilarious. But <laughs> Alundra has these enormous dungeons that are all plot-related. And it has a story that's not a happy story, which is interesting. That's There's a, a town full of people who are all having nightmares, and you are a guy who has come there on a boat, and it's on an island, to uh, go into their nightmares and find out why they're having nightmares. And basically everybody in the city dies one at a time and uh, until you root out the demon and then kill him. And it's just it's this depressing, long story, but with these beautiful, elegant dungeons that are just, just really good really puzzles. And it's real simple. I love uh, it. I, I would almost disagree with the puzzles being really good because a lot of them are... Like, man, if you if you don't have either a lot of time to bang your head against them or an FAQ, they're maddening. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wait, you mean Landstalker or Alondra? Alondra. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess Some of those pretty... puzzles just drive me... Like, I was I was playing Alondra on a plane on my Vita or something, and, and there was this one puzzle, and it was like, hit all these statues in the right order. I was like, man, I'm going to wait till I land. I don't... Oh, <laughs> like, man, this, yeah. This is not what's fun for me. Playing that uh, game on an airplane would probably suck, because, uh, uh, yeah, it's a simulation of playing it in the when it came out. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I guess you, we had the internet resources. when it came out, but... Uh, the internet wasn't exactly useful for finding stuff out about the games at that time. Yeah. Man, so, I that um, game back then, but now. I'm a little more interested in developers playing that one uh, because, I, like, Landstalker, the, the, the puzzles seem... Like, I haven't played Lundra, but, but it seems like the puzzles in Landstalker might be a little more logical, but at the same time, uh, my fear is that people are going to take the wrong stuff from Landstalker, namely the three-quarters perspective. Yeah, and that's, that's, uh, I don't I don't know how I feel about it. like when you say that it's hilarious. I agree with you. Like I I like it because it's that you know. But yeah, I don't. It has those jumping puzzles that I guess would be completely infuriating in completely infuriating for modern usability standards. The, right. Uh, the jumping puzzles would just make people really mad. Like I kind like, of like them because of their weird you know, difficulty that, that could only exist back then, right? But but I don't think that I want people inspired by that. I, I want people inspired by, by like, parts of that, you know, but but uh, uh, I don't think that uh, they would take the right things away. Um, now, Alundra, again, I haven't played, but it, it seems like it's a Landstalker without that perspective, basically. Yeah, it's a Landstalker without the perspective uh, and a lot more. It's a, a lot more content. It's very long. Um, and I like and I like that the plot is basically like setting you up to play a video game. You know, like yeah. as, as opposed to like like trying to justify having a plot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like Landstalker's plot a lot. It's got this good classic kind of caper heist yeah. film story to it, which I really enjoy. But Alundra's man, yeah, there's a whole lot to it. And uh, I'd I'd rather put Dark Savior on than either one personally. Uh, well, you didn't pick it. Dark <laughs> Dark <laughs> Savior is hard to recommend because the game is too weird. It's one of my favorite games. I like it because it's so weird. It's got and it's got all these different, so many actions that you undertake in that game change what happens in that game. Like who 
who who comes home and who doesn't from the prison camp or uh, to the prison camp. Mm. And uh, it's I don't know it's a, it's a real it's a real weird game. Like you got to do stuff in a certain order to get the things. But um, I don't know. I I I'm having a hard time being convinced that Alundra is something that game developers of today need to learn from. Yeah, maybe maybe Landstalker is just the one because it's yeah. weird as heck. And uh, I think. But it's what got- are they going to learn from that that they're not going to learn from playing a like Link's Awakening or Gunstar Heroes or something? Like, I think it's, it's, it's a good a, game, but Go I think it's got a really good uh, story pacing to I it. I agree with that. I think Landstalker's story is like it's paced kind of extremely well, and it's it's I, a fast paced story. I fear story. that that I mean I'm, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but I I think uh, I think Mother Two's uh, pacing is is going to just knock that off the the list. Yeah. But Landstalker has a good like kind of a conventional Hollywood film pace to it, and it's, it's like. like like how, how, how what, what's the agreed upon length for a single player AAA game now? It's probably like twelve hours or so. Yeah. I think Landstalker fits in that template really well. Uh, for like just how long it is, it has just a varied enough beats and varied enough environments that I think it it just does it better. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and it, and it does have uh you know a. a the world doesn't go away when you move on. You know, you can still kind of walk around it, which I like, but I do feel like it's kind of empty between towns. Um, oh, yeah. So, uh, I mean, we don't have to eliminate anything right now because we've only got seven games on the list. Boom. Uh, so I say we just place both of both of them and uh, sort it out later. Uh, so are we in agreement on which one over which? I'd uh, say flop them both at the bottom, but what's on the... What's atop the other? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think that's. I think we should put them both on the bottom, and we could put Landstalker Land above first, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. I uh, guess it's my turn. Yes, that's right. So you got Shining Force Two and Saturn Bomberman. Yeah, uh, that's I'll right. You decide. I also wrote another one here, but I'm just gonna go with Shining Force Two, yep. and what that game? I'm I'm gonna talk about it for a couple of reasons. One being. I think this game is smart with numbers because it's a tactics game and it's like, this is an example of how to make a spreadsheet full of numbers mm. fun and interesting. Because uh, ultimately your choice, your choices are is this character stronger than that character right now? And from which point at this grid is it most advantageous for me to approach? And that you can, you can, you can devise your own tactics of splitting up your forces, going straight down the middle, doing whatever, that kind of stuff. And that works quite well. But the other thing I really like is that this is a game where you... The storytelling happens in the battlefield, basically. It's still cutscenes, but it's one of the earlier games that I can think of where you... I mean, Shining Force 1 does it, but 2 is better. Where... You know, you show up into a place, and you're looking at the place where you're about to have a battle, while you're, um, whatever, while you're having a conversation about what the battle's going to be. And so, yeah, those are some of the reasons why I like it. It's also 
pretty quick and snappy as far mm-hmm. as um, tactics games go. It it takes a lot of the um, a lot of the waiting, a lot of the boredom out of it uh, because there can be that in there. So it's it's like taking something slow paced, speeding it up just a little bit adding environmental storytelling and making all the math perfect. And um, so I think there are a number of interesting lessons in there. I think that uh, just by virtue of figuring out why a grid of numbers is interesting, uh, you become a better game designer. Yeah. And and so uh, I'm all for this one being on the list. Yeah, I like Shining Force 2 a lot. Uh, it's by the same writer as Landstalker, uh, and it has really good... I don't know, it's dungeons and battles and story are all happening at the same time in the game, yeah. which is neat. Instead of dividing it up into uh, courses, they're just all happening at once, Yeah, which is something that a lot of sort of recent cool games do. I know Valkyria Chronicles kind of felt like that. One, one of the coolest things in that regard, regard I believe it was in 2, um, is... The the talk option. If you get near certain characters, yeah, you can, you can you can talk to them instead of try to fight them. You can recruit them onto your side or just have a conversation with with the boss that you're gonna beat. I think that's 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 an interesting thing to put in a battlefield. Hmm. Uh, so uh, I believe that it is at least number five. Not I'm sorry, like. Uh, at at the very the, the the best it could be is number five. Like I think it's below the first four. We have Dracula X, Gunstar, Link's Awakening, and Sonic Two. We all in agreement there. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So that puts it above Lufia Two. Uh, is it above Lufia Two? I think so personally. Tim, I would say that sounds. Wait, you said above Lufia Two? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, go for it, man. Okay. Cool. <laughs> So it is uh, currently number five, Shining Force 2, which uh, brings us back to me. Uh, I'm going to try to justify the secret of Monkey Island, which I don't think either of you are sold on. Um, the reason, I like that game. yeah, I know you like it, but but I don't I don't know that uh, you share my feeling that there's something important about it that I don't think many games, even by the same people, have have managed to recapture. Uh, and I think what that is is that. Uh, it's a game about just kind of walking around and talking to people and figuring out what's going on uh, that actually feels like a real place to me. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the writing. Um, and I, I think that the writing is so simplistic and, and almost juvenile in, in a way that I'm, you know, I'm also going to justify Earthbound with, uh, that it, it, it becomes entertaining in itself. Uh, it's very snappy and and short, and uh, what I like about it is that you know you're kind of thrust in this world and you got to figure out all these things going on at the same time. But uh, the amount of things that you have to store in your brain always feels exactly right to me. Uh, like the amount of like puzzles that you have going on at any time, uh, the amount of locations that you could visit at any one time. Like I, I feel like. I can retain the entirety of that game in my brain uh, where, at any given point. I, I never feel lost. I never have one of those, like, 
Oh yeah, uh, I forgot about this section. Maybe I should go check this out. Moments like I always like even when I was a kid and I played this game for the first time, I I felt like I knew exactly where everything was, and that didn't doesn't make it easier. That just makes the puzzles uh, more logical to me uh, because I'm I, not like running around poking at everything. I, I like I have a pretty good grasp of what everything is. I would add one more thing, which is. Uh, something that I like when games do, and not a lot of them do it, but this one does, is encourage experimentation in a way that's pretty fun. Like, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna try this thing on this thing and see what happens. And a lot of the time, you're gonna get a funny or stupid response. Right. The game uh, never punishes you by design. Yeah. Like yeah, there is no so, punishment in this game. Yet it's hard. Yeah, so it's it's like it's hard because you got to figure it out, but you feel smart when you figure it out. But also when when you do something that's not you know that's not the solution, you're gonna get guys acknowledged for it, telling yeah. you something. It's like ah oh, yeah, I see, I see what you were trying to do there or whatever. It's so that I like that kind of stuff when uh, quote unquote failure does not yield pure failure. It it gives you something interesting back. And all of the the puzzle solutions, uh, I, you know, I, I don't want to say they're real world logic, but they follow the rules of the world that you're in, and they never break them. And and I feel like when I said that even games by these same people later, uh, you know, aren't as good. Like I feel like they strayed away from that, whereas I felt like this always played by its own rules. Uh, so I like this game a whole lot. Um, I don't want to try to place it. So, uh, Brandon, having actually played this game, <laughs> how are you feeling about its placement? Yeah. Um, let's see. I I wouldn't place it at the top, but I Whoa. would I would place it in the middle somewhere's. All right. Personally, so, I would definitely it would definitely be below Shining Force for me. Mm-hmm. Um. What's so then, it's the next one's Lufia too, uh, and so we're talking about, you know, s- kind of two different uh, storytelling story. techniques. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd say you could put it above Lufia too. I mean, all right, I'm good with that. Cool. All right, it is currently at number six. Uh, I we all have one left, which is perfect. Nice. Uh, so Tim, tell us about Dragon Quest V. Okay, Dragon Quest V is a role-playing game. Uh, it's a Dragon Quest game, and Dragon Quest games are, in my opinion, all pretty much perfect. Uh, they're very simple. They're fairy tale like games. They're children's stories, but they always have deeper meaning. Uh, Dragon Quest V starts with your character, a small child, on a boat. Uh, and you're on a boat with your dad, and everyone on the boat is telling you that they like your dad, and then your boat pulls into a dock... Uh, unless you know, you're pl- unless you're playing a pirated copy of the DS version, in which in case, which case the boat <laughs> never <laughs> arrives, <laughs> which is a really great metaphor. So you get off the boat, and there's a guy waiting for you, and he comes up to your dad and says, "Oh, it's been a long time. Uh, right this way, sir." And then he says to you, "He's like your dad is a great man. He saved my life once. Uh, I haven't seen you since you were a baby." And it's like that sort of thing. I just kind of want to know what's going to happen at the end of a story like that. Because you spend your first half hour or so of the game on a boat just talking to people. Uh, The game has fantastic math. All the numbers and all the battles are just perfectly thought out. 
uh, it's just got a good battle system that kind of shows you a whole bunch of stuff. Like the first couple battles you're in, you're fighting with your dad, and your dad is doing like 500 damage, and you're doing like four damage. So it's like even representing story stuff with numbers. And it's a story about a father and a child is what the story is about. And it's very much very well about those things uh, as far as the plot goes all the way till its conclusion. And it has a lot of great big twists that are very mainstream entertainment-ish. Mm-hmm. But they all just come in at these perfect times and it's just this perfectly paced action-adventure story that is uh, just the easiest to play video game, the most relaxing. Uh, there's no pressure. It doesn't hurt your head. I can just put it on and just play it. And there's no no stress. It's like a perfectly stress-free video game. That so what, 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 what I'm basically hearing is if... If you feel like you have to make a JRPG, make sure you've played this one because it's probably the best one. Yeah, but at the same time, it's got a lot of pointers toward you can make a game that's not stressful. Yeah. And also, I mean, okay, I don't feel stress when I'm playing a Call of Duty game. No matter, like, when I'm playing the campaign on very hard, even if I'm dying a hundred times, I don't really feel stress because I don't care because it's you know you die and you respawn you die and you respawn Dragon Quest you die you get sent back to the church that you saved it at last and you're still alive but you lost half your money but you kept all your experience points it just has little tiny rewards like that in it where there is there is punishment but without stress so I think that's neat that uh, modern games will have basically no punishment and no stress or no punishment and some stress. Uh, I think that's an important thing. And also just, yeah, being a game that's just about people is real cool. Yeah. You know? It can be a game that's about normal-ish people without being uh, clever or funny. You so know? it's sounding to me like like it's a lot of the same things you like about Lufia too, but it sounds better. Yeah, 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 but Lufia 2 is a particular, it it is, I mean, I can't, I don't want to spoil the stories of either of these games, but they go completely, they're completely different styles of being games about normal people. Okay. So, yeah. So is it above Lufia 2? Um, I would put it above Lufia 2, yeah. Um, is it above, uh, Monkey Island? Uh, I don't know. I think Monkey Island is more admirable as a work of interactive fiction. Yeah. Uh, than Dragon Quest would be. As I mean, there are a lot of games like Dragon Quest. Right, and we're we're, we're in danger of having three of them. Yeah. But <laughs> absolutely none of them are as good as Dragon Quest V, in my opinion. Uh, Brandon, you good with it at number seven between Monkey Island and Lufia Two? All right. Yeah. All right, Brandon, uh, do Bomberman, and then I'll, I'll do our final one. I think I'm not going to do Bomberman because... Bomberman. Um, as, this, as this has progressed, I feel like... Th- my original reason for putting it on the list was 
you know, it's an evolution of the maze game and it's showing ways that the maze game can still exist, but I, I think that's not actually very interesting to me. So I want to change it to a game called Landmaker, which Landmaker. is a uh, Taito arcade game. also came out for the PlayStation 1. It came out in the U.S. as, I think, Builder's Block or something. Um, but it's it's a it's a game about building structures. It's a puzzle game. It's a versus puzzle game um, where you're you're building structures, kind of in a similar mechanic to um, like Magical Drop, where you're just throwing. Except you're not you're not taking things back. You're just throwing throwing uh, blocks onto the screen, and you're trying to create these uh, diamond shape shaped structures. Mm-hmm. And um, if you if you throw throw a block to the side of a structure, it'll slide alongside it. But if you hit it on the edge, then it will destroy it and send a bunch of garbage over to your opponent's side. Um, and but it pushes you from the back. It pushes from the top down. So um, like your essentially your structures are getting pushed off the edge of the world. The reason why I like it is because you've got to make structures as quickly as possible. You have to be able to identify patterns very quickly because uh, different colors will link up with others. And um, if you if you kind of break the chain of the building that you're building, then your structure will come apart and you'll you'll get fewer points. So while you have to identify this stuff as quickly as possible and do it very quickly, you also have to play a waiting game because you want to have the largest structure possible before you destroy it. And so you're trying to go as quickly as possible while also going like after your opponent has done something. You want to mm-hmm. counter what they've done. So it's it's like a really aggressive hurry up and wait pat- pattern recognition game. And I feel like we don't really have anything like that on this list. Nothing about puzzles or patterns. And this is a game that really does it for me. Every every time I get someone like Vincent Diamante or uh, Patrick Miller or whomever that really likes video games over here, and I make them play this game, they get really super into it. It it's got a little bit of a difficulty curve, but once you're in there, it's like I don't know. You it feels like you can see everything that's happening. You see your opportunities, and when you miss one, you 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 feel like you've you've failed yourself. Um, so, you know, Tetris is 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 your your real kind Tetris of is too perfect, and you can't learn anything from it. Yeah, you, know, you can't, yeah. can't yeah. clean anything off of it's, it. It's true. Not even Alexei Pajitnov could learn anything from it. Yeah. Um, so, but this this game is, and it's since it's a versus game, it's it's got that different kind of dynamic going on. So that's why I like this game. Well, we don't have any uh, multiplayer games on here except for Street Fighter Two Rainbow, which is currently number ten and is uh, gonna be knocked off the list by Mother Two. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I am all for placing this somewhere, uh, and. Uh, I, I think I'm more interested in Bomberman, to be honest. Uh, but I'm, I'm good with Landmaker. Um, I am thinking... God. Okay, so I don't know what this list looks like anymore. All right, so you want me to read off the list here? Just yeah. from the top? All right. Rondo of Blood, Gunstar Heroes, Link's Awakening, Sonic 2, 
Uh, Shining Force 2. I didn't write the 2. That's very important. The Secret of Monkey Island, Dragon Quest V, Lufia 2, Gate of Thunder, and then at number 10, Street Fighter 2 Rainbow Edition, followed by Lance Harker and Alondra, which are awful, listed 11 and 12. Oh, man, that's rough. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, maybe we're not going to it's, it's, it's hard to put it above... Dragon Quest V, Lufia 2, Gate of Thunder, right? It's hard. It's it's even hard yeah. to put it above Street Fighter 2 Rainbow Edition for me. Uh, but at the same time, Rainbow. okay. So so it's we're we're not trying to be definitive, right? We're not trying to have examples of every no. type of thing a person can learn. It's just like the the best examples. Yeah. This period of games. So I don't feel like not having a puzzle or a competitive game on here is hurting the list necessarily. Not necessarily. I think it hurts the list a little bit. I, but... I think so too. Because um... <laughs> <laughs> this ultimately will wind up being like, here's a list of games that that we think you should play if you want to make a game for us. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which um, is fine. That's also fine. Yeah, it's, it doesn't matter. It's a list of games we think we want game designers or game developers, I should say specifically, uh, yeah. to play. It doesn't. It doesn't like. It doesn't need to be. More, more or less specific than that. Yeah, I guess, I guess it can just be below Street Fighter, which is going to get knocked off anyway. So. All right, so we've eliminated it at number eleven. Uh, too bad. People are playing. Landmaker it. is right above Land Soccer. I kind of like that. Yeah, that's fun. All right, so final game here is Mother Two, uh, which yeah, I like is, that one. Yeah, which is a game I think that we previously called the the greatest game of all time. It's a game sure. that a lot of people need to uh, stop saying they like. Uh, as an idea and start saying they like as a thing, if you yep. know what I mean. That is exactly why uh, I chose it on here, because uh, I think even even a lot of people who have played it, uh, I don't think they've really played it. You know what I mean? Like A lot I, of people might have played it just because they, they thought they had to. Right. Uh, but I, I don't feel like it's often... Really, like I, I don't think people have been inspired much beyond uh, well the graphic style. People, people think mm-hmm. a lot. Like we talked about Undertale earlier, which you know is sort of Earthboundy in its graphic style. But uh, also the the idea of being friendly is kind of a thing that people take away from it, and uh, being kind of goofy with with your with your RPG fights is what people take from it. And all that stuff's cool, uh, mm-hmm. but I think there's an an inherent like there's this underlying heart to Earthbound that people uh, don't. I, I think the people feel, but don't know how to uh, replicate or or apply, I should say, to their lives or their games. Uh, and and I think a lot of that is is uh, is just because it's hard to uh, replicate, uh, like being a toy, right? <laughs> you 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 can't be that guy. And 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 I think. Uh, I think the most remarkable ingredient of the Mother series is bringing in someone who is not a game designer, uh, though he does like games, who's just a smart guy, and just seeing what happens and giving him an actual budget. Uh, And, like, I think that can backfire really easily, uh, but I, I don't think you can replicate it that easily either. And uh, I think that a lot of the things you can learn from Mother 2 are how to not be a video game designer. 
you know, like like just how to create oh, yeah. uh, how to create a world and an experience that is interactive and fun and gamey, but not a video game. And uh, you know, and and I think ultimately, Earthbound is a game about playing video games. Uh, and I think that when you play something like uh, the Stanley Parable, which is that but a lot more literal, uh, I, I I think. I, I, I kind of feel like you don't earn the ability to critique the nature of video game playing without having truly understood Earthbound. Yeah. I think Earthbound is a game that has kind of a, kind of a freakish, psychedelic uh, richness to it that even if played not as a game about video games, even if it's your first video game you've ever played, Mm-hmm. Uh, you can come to grips with its interface and such, and it, God, it's like a magic trick. The whole game is like a magic trick. I mean, leading up to a specific series of crescendos at the end. Yeah. That, uh, man, it's pretty much as good as a book, and I think it's the only game that's ever been, <laughs> been that good at being a game as good books are at being books. And as as much as you and I love this game, like I, I think it's, you know, I, it's not perfect. There's parts that I don't like. Oh, uh, sure. And and I think that in a weird way just makes it better, you know. Um like that there's an entire section toward the end where that just kind of is just a bunch of stuff happens that doesn't really have any meaning. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you get to the end and and uh you know, so there's little imperfections like that, but like, I don't know. I've that all kind of contributes to the, like the naturalist sort of literature feel. Of yeah, it, in my opinion, I agree with that. I, uh, I like it a whole lot, man. And and I think the reason I put it on this list, even though I mean we said this right at the beginning of the list, like even though a lot of people have played it or claim to have played it, uh, I don't think anyone has really solved the puzzle yet. Of, of what it is about this game that makes us love it. Uh, and so the more smart people we have playing it, I think uh, the closer we'll get to that and the better games we'll have. I think it's, uh, yeah, culture, man. Cultural awareness. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. I do. Uh, so where does this game go on our list? Uh, I... You know, I'm tempted to put it on the top, but uh, but but it's not there. I think just because so many people have played it, yeah, and it's so obvious. Um, I think it's top five. Um, I think. I think. I think got... uh, all right. Should, do you guys have the list sort of in your heads at least? Rondo, Gunstar. Yeah. Link's Awakening, Sonic 2, Shining Force 2, Monkey Island. I think it's in there somewhere. I'd say uh I'd say put it under Link's Awakening if only doing so would make it look like Link's Awakening was really important to play for the name <laughs> I, recognition purpose cuz Link's Awakening does a whole lot of stuff. Yeah, and and I think that uh I think the people are less likely to have played that one or have even thought to have played that one. Uh, I, I would like to surprise people with with that entry. Because it's three. just a Game Boy game, yeah. according to most people. Uh, Brandon, you have any objections here? 
I have no feelings. Okay. <laughs> Owned. Um, all right, so we have our list. Uh, I'll read it through one last time because we have uh, gone well over our hour here. Um, so yes, number one is Dracula X, Rondo Blood, Gunstar Heroes, The Legend of Zelda, Link's Awakening, Earthbound, a.k.a. Mother 2, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Shining Force 2, Secret of Monkey Island, Dragon Quest V, Lufia 2, and uh, Gate of Thunder manages to stay on the top ten list, which I'm pretty happy about. Uh, nice. That's and then our honorable mentions at the bottom here, Street Fighter 2 Rainbow Edition, Landmaker, Landstalker, Alundra, and sure, why not, Galaga. Um, so and uh, I would just want to say that if I were writing this list, uh, the number one game I would put, uh, which is actually not even on the list at all, because I didn't even mention it, is uh, For the Frog, The Bell Tolls, which is the game that birthed mm. the engine that Link's Awakening was made on. I have recommended it to many, many people over the last five years or so since an English patch of it came out. Uh, I had the fortunate experience to play it in Japanese. On a, It came out for the original Game Boy in 1992. Uh it is a really good, really tight, really weird uh, action-adventure RPG with good action, good adventure, and good RPG uh, all told very quickly, very fast, and very nice. Its and weakness you- is that you can hit a point where if you've not played it for three days, you'll be lost. Oh, yeah. That is yeah. that is the worst thing about that game. Uh, Sit down and just one one credit it. Just play right through it. I think, I think you can, and I do recommend that game as well. Uh, all right, so we're well over. Uh, I do have a couple more if we want to just blast through them. Questions. Uh, otherwise, we can wrap it up. I think Brandon has just disappeared. Oh, he has. So, all right, that wraps up episode. Brandon fell off. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that wraps up episode 112 of the Answer Credit Show. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. Uh, so you can find us on uh, Facebook at IC Podcast. Uh, Tim's on Twitter at 108. I'm at Frank Cifaldi. Brandon is at Necrosofty. Uh, thanks, as always, to our editor, Brain. Uh, wow, I just called him Brain. Uh, Blaine Brown. Uh, Blaine who does, Brown. Who uh, makes us sound good somehow. Uh, and... Uh, Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, We'll see you next time on the Insert Credit Show. Thanks a lot. Insert Credit Show. Silver, yeah!